At maximum mediocrity, people say things like, I don't dress like this on a regular basis. This isn't my, you know, pooping uniform. This is not <laughs> And they also say things like, the, the nurses are usually either angels of mercy or whores. Every episode is a new experience where you get to know people that aren't famous, but should be. Why am I facing Floyd Mayweather in the Woods. My co-host Morgan and I track down the people you didn't know you needed to hear from. It's like hot sex in a mug. We are the Maximum Mediocrity Podcast, and we are on all major podcasting platforms. We'll be waiting for you. We're here to entertain you. We'll sing your songs. Hey there. Are you obsessed with things that happened before your time? Well, if you are, join me, the host of Before My Time, Gelsey Laurie, to discuss the wonders of the yesteryears that we weren't around to enjoy ourselves. You can find us on all podcast platforms. Soon you'll be swaying, so come on, sing along. It's another Christmassy day over here at Christmas 365, and this is going to be an interesting one. Every day we inch closer and closer to Christmas, and today we talk about a special that just says, hey, I'm a thing. So here's the pro- here's where the controversy is, because I can kind of see where how you feel about this, because I think... Well, we'll get the guests on the show to dive in deeper, but we're talking about Emmett Otter, Jug Band Christmas, and we are joined by a what someone who's been in the peripheral of my life for over a decade, but we've only really become good friends in the last couple of years. They are the lead singer of Danger Club. They are the lead singer of a solo project that they do called How I Became Invisible. So let's introduce NDOT. Woo! Woo! Hello. What a wonderful introduction. (laughs) NDOT, thank you so much for joining us. So here's the thing with Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas. And I know that this was the first time Dylan had ever watched it. Yes. Despite being what one could call like a massive Jim Henson stan, last year was the first time I ever saw it. And I wonder sometimes if this is in a similar vein to watching The Goonies, one of those things that you had to grow up watching to have like a, this is like top tier Christmas special, but like watching it, as when you're older for the first time, you kind of don't realize how culturally important it actually was. 
Does that make sense? Yeah, maybe, kind of. I don't see the comparison to the Goonies, though, just because I grew up and went the Goonies, and then now I don't like it. <laughs> okay, see, I know a lot of people who just straight up hate it when they see it for the first time. They're like, it's just a bunch of kids screaming. And I'm like, yeah, but when you were like 10, it was great. <laughs> like, but when I was 10, I was one of those kids screaming. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Exactly. So did you grow up on Emmett Otter? Yes. Yes, I did, actually. I don't want to say I watched it when it premiered because I was not alive at that point. But <laughs> probably most of... Uh, full disclosure, I was born, uh, let's see, a year after the HBO premiere. <laughs> so that's the big thing. I have the Jim Henson biography, and I knew that there was a chapter about the making of Emmett Otter. So I, I took it off my shelf and I reread it. And this was a huge passion project for Jim Henson, and nobody wanted to air it. So the story goes that this was a children's book first that Jim Henson had read to his kids and said, we can do something with this. And then on the set of The Muppet Show, he befriended Paul Williams and said, hey, how would you feel about writing music for a Christmas special? And Paul Williams leapt at the idea, and they put in all this production to get it made. Henson was so like driven to make this special that he actually invested $525,000 of his own money into the production to make sure that it got completed and nobody wanted it. So the first year it played once in Canada and then a year later, HBO aired it once. (laughs) And then because similarly to something like it's a wonderful life, because there was such a, a small portion of people who wanted this, the ability to buy it for syndication became super affordable. And then at around this exact same time, you're starting to get things like Nickelodeon. So these kids channels were like, hey, we'll we'll take it, whatever. It's cheap enough and we'll put it on TV. And that's really where it started to find the audience that loves it to this day. You know, what was also a passion project done for his kids. Uh, Robert Rodriguez is Shark Boy and Lava Girl. So I'm going to just leave it at that. (laughs) So what's important about this specific movie, though, is from a puppeteering standpoint, it actually is where they tested a lot of things that had never been done before. This film actually features the first ever remote-controlled puppet. There had never been one before. It was, uh, And there's a couple of them, but the main one is the puppet that allows the otters to row a boat and talk simultaneously. So it was in the beginning of that where he was really playing around with these ideas of like what defines a puppet. And if you know anything about Jim Henson, he wanted to get away from a physical hand in a piece of felt and wanted to move to this next generation where he could have complete and total control of the puppet as if it was a human. And this is where he finally got to experiment with it a bit. The work that they put into it is they actually built a genuine river that ran through the sets and the lighting team actually built a lighting setup that would do a full cycle of a 24 hour day of sunrise and sunset over this like incredible set. Like they got real grass planted, real grass on the set. It was actually a really, really cool. And and watching it now, I'm like, man, the sets in this are very impressive for, for what it is. Apparently Jim Henson pulling uh, what could only be described as a Stanley Kubrick type move. He made the actors shoot sequences over and over and over again until he felt like the animal movements felt as close to natural as they possibly could. Uh, And the whole thing was only shot in 12 days and then they edited it in eight days. So it was 
both a passion project and a rush job <laughs> all in one. I mean, making those those actors stand around. I, I mean, just watching this thing, Emmett Otter was probably just as much of an asshole as I imagine on the step. <laughs> <laughs> but those are my fun behind the scenes facts. The only other big thing that I have is that I had a quote pulled up on wiki that i want it to read don't mind me i'm talking too much um, it said emmett otter was the first time that we had gotten into the kind of elaborate sets that we had with floors in the interiors uh, where we could walk around wide angle shots with characters coming in through little holes in the floor we'd cut into the set and remove the floor and then have characters move through the space in waste shots it was the most elaborate production we had gotten into at that point. The Frog Prince had a platform up and the Muppet Show was always platform up. But for Emmett Otter, we got right into the scene. We'd have the whole set in three dimensions, rigged so that we could pop parts in and out and come out through different openings, which was really, really time consuming. <laughs> but I, I thought that that was an interesting thing. And sometimes I think it's a, a key thing to talk about, especially amongst the three of us, because we all come from different land uh, landscapes of creativity but i think that there's something to be said about sometimes our best work isn't the work that like how am i trying to word this sometimes you make something because you need to experiment on how to expand the art form yeah and it might not be the best thing you put out but to you it's probably the most important thing you put out because without doing it you know like i've i've was just talking to dylan before we hit record but I found a hard drive of literally probably thousands of hours of attempts at podcasts that never saw the light of day, but I am excited to listen to them because I'm sure that in each little one, there is a stepping stone into getting where I got with podcasting stuff. And I think it's the same with when you listen to music that you made in high school or when you listen or read articles that you wrote, like your first couple articles that you wrote, like, you're trying to find your voice. You're trying to push to the next level. And I feel like Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas, if you were to ask Jim Henson, I think he would rank it as like that thing that took the Muppets from just being puppets to like there being a chance to do something like Dark Crystal for there being the opportunity to do something like Labyrinth, where they had tested out the stuff that became what made those movies work yeah it's it's a it's a sense of growth it's a need to try something new and and you're just growing as an artist regardless of what medium uh you're a part of see my background with emmett otter is friend tim babb who runs the can't wait for christmas podcast did an entire show on emmett otter's jug band christmas and I started listening to it and it caught my interest a little bit, but again, it, it didn't really intrigue me or pull me in. I didn't know much about the story behind the film until uh, actually you just explained it, Matt. So I am actually interested in going back and checking it out and seeing if, <laughs> being, if it pulls me in a little more, but I still honestly do not see it, it becoming a regular viewing for, for my Christmas season, but I respect it. All right. Yeah, I, respect no, <laughs> I, I think that there's and, and I want to get into this with NDOT because I definitely think that there are things that hold up really, really well to me. And there's things that I absolutely love in this movie. But then there's also things that I'm like, oh, that probably 
isn't handled as great as it could have been handled. So I'm curious for you, Dot, when you think about this movie, when you think about this film that, you know, you didn't even hesitate. You're like, Emmett Otter, Jug Band Christmas is what I want to talk about. What <laughs> is it about this movie that makes it so special to you? Well, part of it, I think, is what we discussed before. The, the I hate nostalgia as a trapping that people like make it uh their life out of i guess like everyone who's like oh remember the 80s like yeah i remember it. i fucking lived through it <laughs> but it is it's partially is that like it's something it's just i don't remember i honestly don't remember the first time i saw it because i've been watching we watched it every year around christmas i we have a copy now at a at my house we have a dvd and i have it on my laptop as well it's interesting watching it now because there's nothing i don't like about it still like, there's nothing I go, well, I'd change that. Or it's like, because it's so much of its time in terms of the, like we talked about the, the advances in, in puppetry and in the, how they shot the, the various Muppets and stuff. But that kind of adds to its charm a little bit, I think. So like, there's a scene where they're sliding down little, like, it's like a water slide, but into a frozen river. And like, you could clearly see it's just a doll that they let go. <laughs> <laughs> but, or then you could see the strings sometimes because it's like more of a traditional uh, hand puppet, not like hand puppet hand in the puppet but like the stringed puppet i guess like Pinocchio yeah, it's a marionette there's yeah, a marionette. lot of marionette in this think of the yeah. goddamn word. <laughs> but like you can clearly see the strings though so i think in the more recent like most recent versions they might have digitally removed them i'm not a hundred percent sure on that so i have the most recent dvd release and they kept them in there okay and and i'm glad that they did because to quote a very non-Christmas movie in the movie Fanboys, if you ever saw the movie Fanboys, <laughs> there's a scene where the, the premise of Fanboys is a group of Star Wars geeks find out that one of their best friends is dying of cancer and is probably not going to live to see Phantom Menace. So they go and break into uh, the Skywalker ranch and try to steal a copy of it so he can watch it before he dies. Long story short, he sees the movie. They're not allowed to see the movie and they ask him if it's any good. And instead of giving them a straightforward answer, he says, you know, it's cool to see the strings. It's cool to see the magic behind what you're watching. And like, that's it. And that's kind of where he leaves it. And I think that that's when people complain about like the changes made to Star Wars. It is like, yeah, no, no, no. it's cool that you made that look more professional, but I don't want it to look more professional. Like there's a charm to seeing the weird edit around the Death Star where like things weren't perfectly put together. And and I think that that's what a lot of the charm with Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmases is to me. There's it's what makes a lot of the Muppet stuff work is that whenever you watch any Muppet production, especially that Jim Henson, like golden age of the 70s into the 80s, every one of those movies oozes a group of friends just trying to make each other laugh and Emmett Otter has that very lo-fi look but I also like that it has this very small town country vibe like I love the world of Emmett Otter I know that that Dylan uh, was texting me as he was watching I was like man I'm already feeling bored by this and then I sat down and watched it I was like oh my god I could just sit and listen to these two otters row a boat and talk about what their Christmas plans are for like another 20 minutes. Like I'm just so charmed by the world of it. <laughs> it's interesting that you mentioned the world because something I did, I never knew growing up until like, I want to say a couple years ago when I was like actually kind of looking into the backstory. Cause I, I had no idea it was a book first or that like any of the background outside of Jim Henson made a thing. Yeah. <laughs> the author 
actually based like the 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 artist author i think he did the illustrations as well uh based the look on it on upper bucks county pennsylvania which is oh shit i live in (laughs) south jersey now but i was born outside philly i've lived in south jersey and bucks county i lived in upper bucks county for a while and it was like because just the idea of like the the backdrops that they recreated in the show so like perfectly matched the things i would drive by on my way to work (laughs) Yeah, And it was like, it blew my mind a little bit. I mean, I think the one thing that all three of us can agree on, whether we love or dislike the movie, is that the John Williams soundtrack is just on par with anything else John Williams does. Just very witty, well-written, beautiful songs. Um, um, I think you're mistaking uh, John Williams with Paul Williams oh, there, yeah, man. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. And I'm looking at a note that says Paul Williams. I this is not want to watch this with just a John Williams <laughs> score. <laughs> yeah, there's a second. I'm like, wait, did I miss something? Was John, did John Williams do like the, the score part? <laughs> Paul Williams. The Paul Williams soundtrack, whether it's him doing like this very bluegrassy thing like barbecue or something that is, I, I really think, a legitimately beautiful song with When the River Meets the Sea. Mm-hmm. And I've got, a, I've got a bunch of notes about that. We'll get into When the River Meets the Sea soon okay. enough. But when I was watching this, I actually tweeted out, all I want for Christmas is the Abbott Brothers to release an EP of them covering all the songs from Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas. <laughs> I love just the the blue grassy vibe of almost every song in this movie. Definitely. If there was one thing that, that did stand out, it was Paul Williams' soundtrack. And even though Paul Williams, to me, will always be Swan from Phantom <laughs> of the Paradise, and I like to picture that that is who wrote the soundtrack to M. Daughter's <laughs> Chug Band Christmas. Because I, I believe I said to you earlier, Matt, somebody definitely sold their soul to the devil for this to be as popular as it is. And I will take that back, but I did want to slip that in there. Um, if there's one thing I can respect, for sure, it is Paul Williams' soundtrack. That is the definite highlight to me, for me. You weren't into Chuck and the River Bottom Boys? <laughs> okay, all right. I do want to talk about the River Bottom <laughs> Nightmare Band for a second because talking about this being a product of its time, as you got this this badass group, Chuck Stoat, Fred Lizard, Howard Snake, <laughs> the Popeye Catfish, and Stanley Weasel, and they get up there, you're like, what friggin' badass song are they about to sing? And they get up there and it starts sounding like Fog Hat. And I'm like, yep, this was definitely considered, (laughs) this was definitely badass back in 77 for sure. (laughs) At maximum mediocrity, people say things like, I don't dress like this on the regular basis. This isn't my, you know, pooping uniform. This is not what I wear. (laughs) And they also say things like, The, The nurses are usually either... Angels of Mercy or Whores. Every episode is a new experience where you get to know people that aren't famous but should be. Why am I facing Floyd Mayweather in the woods? My co-host Morgan and I track down the people you didn't know you needed to hear from. It's like hot sex in a mug. We are the Maximum Mediocrity Podcast and we are on all major podcasting platforms. We'll be waiting for you. We're here to entertain you. We'll sing your song. Hey there. 
Are you obsessed with things that happened before your time? Well, if you are, join me, the host of Before My Time, Gelsey Laurie, to discuss the wonders of the yesteryears that we weren't around to enjoy ourselves. You can find us on all podcast platforms. Soon you'll be swaying, so come on, sing along. It's definitely dated, but then I also read that, like, if you ask, it, there's something that I love about Jim Henson where everyone assumes that he is this, like, sugary, sweet, like, he is Kermit the Frog. That's the character that he connects with. And then you always find out that it's like, no, he thought the best song was the River Bottom Boys. He loved doing the River Bottom stuff. Like, he likes the weird, dark stuff. I remember reading, and I was shocked by this because I just always assumed, like, Jim Henson, favorite puppet's got to be Kermit. Why not? But he was always a Roth guy. He was like, no, I love Roth. I love playing Roth. I respect it. Roth is pretty yeah. metal. Hell yeah. One of the things that I don't think works in this, and I, unless I like blinked and missed it here, but I feel like the introduction to the contest just comes out of nowhere. And it's like real clunky how the information is presented. It's just two characters both telling the Otter family about it. Did I miss like a sign that was advertising it earlier or something? I don't remember. <laughs> I, I mean, I, the, yeah, I'm remembering it the same way you are, Matt. They kind of just like hear the yeah. talent contest mentioned yeah it's just like very expository like i think the first time you hear it is the uh i forget his name but the porcupine character just says to emmett otter like so what do you think about that talent show coming up <laughs> that's some rough that's some rough exposition dialogue right there like doesn't flow naturally at all <laughs> we got 48 <laughs> minutes okay we gotta get it in right? <laughs> yeah, i mean like did, or are you expecting that to, like deep seat in like some backstory about the, the contest real or it's literally just a a vehicle to get to the gift of the magi part. i just think that there could have been something there could have been a sign hanging up even if they didn't see it that they walked past i was like that has to make sense that's like <laughs> Storytelling makes Wouldn't that have been just as like convenient if they're like <gasps> concert contest? Oh no, my no, no, god! No. <laughs> Fifty dollars. Fifty dollars. I'm fine with how they find out. My problem is okay. with that. Where we, the audience, find out at the exact okay, same time. Okay. All right. Okay. You know what I mean? Right. Like, like something for the audience to be like, oh man, they missed that sign. That could have solved all their problems. And then the porcupine <laughs> said something. You're like, oh, thank God the porcupine passed that information. <laughs> I'm very invested when I watch things. Um, you wanted you wanted to Dora the Explorer the yes. contest, basically. Yeah. No, if it was like Blue's Clues, and I was like, turn around! <laughs> behind you! There's a talent contest! So it's very obviously inspired by like the gift of the Magi, which is which is fine. But I love up until a certain point, I love that they lose. <laughs> like I think that that's awesome. <laughs> like, yeah, sure. No, I mean, that's, I, it, I is, mean it is it, pretty great. It, it's you know, teaching kids you're not always going to win, but it's what you do after you lose that matters. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's what I love about like the Incredibles, where like essentially the story of the Incredibles is like, yeah, sorry, not everyone's special. <laughs> so there's two scenes that got me to laugh out loud in the worst way, and they both happen in the talent show. And the one was the horse. The, the bit with the horse <laughs> where they just are like on two opposite ends of the stage and they can't find each other. And then the curtain just drops like that to me is really funny. But the one that like 
destroyed me. It says a lot about what my sense of humor is, is the two dancing rabbits with just the big smiles on their faces. (laughs) I was dying. I was like, this is so funny. And it, that's like pure Muppet show humor where it's just, they're doing something that if you saw on any other show with like human beings, it'd be like, Oh, they're doing a tap dance. But like, the fact that it's puppets doing a tap dance, but also that they've got the like parody of like any show dancer, like big wide smile with the hands to the sides just makes it so much funnier to me. <laughs> and I, I think that might've been like the issue that I had was like, that's what I wanted more of because I, yeah. I, I go into this going, Oh, Jim Henson, the Muppets, we got the intro by Kermit. Like, like that's what I'm going to get. And that's not really what you get for three quarters of the flick, the, the flick. Yeah. And I mean, that's, that's more on me and I'm going to go back and listen or, or watch it again. And I'll give you an update on a future episode yeah. for sure. If my opinion changes, but I think that's, that was my flaw is I went into this wanting that. And I didn't get that. The bummer for me is that because I've only ever seen this on the DVD, I don't get the Kermit stuff. When Disney bought the Muppets, they didn't buy Emmett Otter and then didn't allow for the Kermit spots to remain in Emmett Otter. Yeah, so, I, did, and- I didn't get the, the Kermit spots either. And I just I just knew they existed. So that's yeah. why I wanted to mention it. Yeah. I mean, they're pretty important because the uh, a lot of what you said earlier about like how they tested out a lot of technology that they hadn't done before in Emmett Otter. Uh, they tested out a lot of stuff that they then used in the Muppet movie, including Kermit riding the bicycle without like someone visibly holding him up or something like that. They did. That was the Kermit scenes in Emmett Otters is like he's riding a bicycle at one point. For sure. And there's there's little dabs of that. So I'm going to ask a question. I've got the vibe that for Dylan, I already probably know the answer, <laughs> uh, but it's my favorite segment whenever we review a special or a movie. Did either of you cry while watching it? No. Okay, so just me. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I'm not shocked, but <laughs> can I ask a question? Is it is it during when the river meets the sea? It's this. It's towards the very end of the movie where I think it's Emmett says because they're talking about the father, and he says, "We just did what he would have done," mm-hmm. and I don't know why, but that line was just like. Uh, like right in yeah. there. Okay. But let's talk about When the River Meets the Sea because it's the most famous song from the movie. It's sung on multiple Christmas specials and it's a song that's not about Christmas at all, but it's about dying and passing on into the afterlife. Yep. Yeah. So some of the, the famous covers of this song, it was covered again with the Muppets, uh, this time with John Denver and Robin sang it on the John Denver Christmas together with the Muppets special, which is a record I had growing up. Yeah, and that's that's the version that I knew when Jim Henson died. The actor who did Emmett Otter sang it at his memorial service. And then fairly recently, Kermit and Robin performed it with Jimmy Fallon on uh, The Tonight Show. So it's it's a song that still pops up. I do like it and I like it as a Christmas song, even though it isn't really a Christmas song, because just last week, you know, we were talking to a mall Santa and like sometimes Christmas is a sad time for people. Yeah. And they deserve songs, too. And I've said before that I every time I listen to have yourself a merry little Christmas. There's a line in that song that makes me cry every single time for the years. We all will be together as long as the fates allow. It's a line that reminds us that like 
at Christmas time, as much as it's great to be with your family, you're cuddled up in your blankets and stuff. It probably is the day that reminds you of the people who aren't here as well. Yeah. More than any other day. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's fair. I, I feel like, well, I, like the main part of Christmas is like the joy and the love and the you know, presence and everyone gets together and has a good time. There is a definite sense of melancholy that is throughout the whole holiday, which is also, you know, based upon, oh, you, you know, the people you love are eventually not going to be there. But also the idea that, you know, sometimes people are just alone on Christmas, not because anyone's left them, but just because they just are. And it's a very inherent quality in a lot of music around the holidays, I feel like. I, I think that that's what even like a song like I'll Be Home for Christmas, I think is such a beautiful song. I mean, you talk about white Christmas. I'm, I'm sure with the old soul that Dylan and I are, <laughs> we will definitely get to an episode just about the movie White Christmas because it's oh my oh gosh. it's such a good movie. It's such a good movie, and and we still haven't mentioned uh, the greatest sad Christmas song of all time, Christmas Shoes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, uh, we are going to dedicate an episode to christmas shoes that's fine i'm fine with dedicating an episode to christmas shoes but i i would say that that's like the forced sad christmas song there we're a bunch of sad boys and girls over here 100 boy for life my friend sad boy for life i've written a couple christmas songs both with danger club and how you came visible and like it's hard to not write a sad Christmas song. <laughs> yeah. Well, like, because it, I think it, like, it's it's really easy to like if you want to do like a nice happy cheat one, it ends up like just edging so hard into cheesy or like forced that it's yeah. well, way it, easier it, to write a sad one. Well, that's it. I mean, how many new things can you say about how great Christmas is? Yeah. You know, what I mean, like, what can you say that Paul McCartney hasn't already told? <laughs> I love that you're like, how many new things can you say about how great Christmas is on a Christmas podcast that we're doing? <laughs> Exactly. Year long. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I have no sense of irony. Um, so the one question I do want to ask, and dot, yes. If the if it was a different question, and the question was, what's your favorite Muppets production, would Emmett Otter still be your choice? Uh, are we talking just Christmas things or Muppets Productions in general? Muppets Productions in general. I mean, the answer is going to be the same either way. It's Muppet Christmas Carol. Okay, fair enough. I mean, that is uh, that is one that will most certainly be covered. Um, I know that Dylan and I have gone, I'm pretty sure we've gone back and forth about this over what's the best version of the Christmas Carol. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Muppets, sure. Muppets is pretty high up there. Yeah, <laughs> it, would, it, would, yeah. it would be like top two for me. Like it goes back and forth to Scrooge in my mind. Oh, Scrooge is so good. Scrooge you is like good. the classic one, right? You, or not classic, but like a 70s one, right? Yeah, my favorite is Albert Finney's uh, yeah. Scrooge. Um, it I, was the, it was the musical version. They adapted it to a stage musical as well. And I've seen it like, at the Hippodrome in Baltimore, and it'll always be my favorite. I love those songs. It's the one that I grew up on, that my family raised me on. So as much as I appreciate almost all versions of A Christmas Carol, that will be my definitive. Have you seen the the Albert Finney musical version? From the I 70s? haven't. Okay. And, and every, I will say that every November-ish, I find myself hitting like Targets and Walmarts and like looking at their like, christmas dvd bin to see if there's like something i can add to the list that i haven't already bought yeah and that one is always like like it's always in my hand <laughs> and then i'm like ooh, but they also have the original miracle on 34th street <laughs> that i really need it and i know that i love that one so like 
it always loses out to something that I probably should have already owned because I love it so much already. But maybe this will be the, this is the year, you know? I'm, there you go. Yep. You force me to watch it for this podcast, then I will watch it. Yes. As much <laughs> as I love it, I would love to dedicate an episode, not just to Christmas Carol, but to Scrooge, Albert Finney's Scrooge. Oh my, I could talk about that movie for hours. All right. Let's so I want to bounce the same question to Dylan. And then, uh, I mean, I'll also answer it, but I'm obviously Emmett Otter is not your answer, but what is your favorite <laughs> Muppet production? Honestly, it, I'm going to split it into one. It was already mentioned. A Muppet's Christmas Carol is always going to be my all time favorite, but a wild card choice. It's more recent because of the headspace I was in when I saw it um, was actually 2011's The Muppets with Jason yeah. Siegel. I yeah. absolutely love that movie. I love the soundtrack. It, it brings me to tears. That opening number, everything is great. Everything is great. Oh my God, dude. I just started losing it. And it's like, oh my God, my old friends are back. Like so that's I've what got it brought me. Some exciting news for you. Yes. Brett from Flight of the Concords. Yeah. Who wrote the music for the 2011 Muppets has been hired to write the music for the Emmett Otter remake that Disney Plus <laughs> wants to produce. <laughs> the worlds collide. <laughs> I literally asked that question with that information in my head, hoping someone would answer the 2011 Muppets. Oh, I friggin' love the 2011. And you know what? Now I'm excited for Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas. 2022 edition. Yeah, the edition, 2022 edition <laughs> where Emmett Otter and his entire family are wearing masks and <laughs> social distance social distance Christmas. And for me, the Muppet movie is like one of my favorite movies of all time. Yeah. But also, like, kind of how you had, like, a, a Dark Horse option. For me, I also really love Muppets Take Manhattan, and I feel like it doesn't get talked about nearly enough no i agree i agree i was waiting for you to say muppets go to space so oh no (laughs) and dot i know that usually we want to promote the thing that you've done most recently so i'm definitely going to let you talk about the how i became invisible album that came out a couple months ago but on top of that obviously danger club wrote a christmas song yes and i feel like it'd be appropriate to end this episode with it so talk about the how i became invisible album and then talk about that christmas song and we'll end on that okay uh how do we give this whole album uh it's a full length it's called the wave returns to the ocean it's kind of a uh i want to say it's maybe not a sum up of a year but it's been it's about uh my experience with transition and kind of moving through a new phase of life while also trying to navigate through a global pandemic that could potentially kill me (laughs) amongst other things but it's also a fun pop punk album (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> i'm pretty i'm pretty proud of it it's uh probably the best thing i've done to this point and i think i feel like and this is just me you know trying not to be narcissistic but i feel like i've done some pretty good things with some pretty good people so that's pretty cool but you could find that along with a whole bunch of other music because i am constantly recording at how invisible.com including a christmas song that i put out two years ago called santa gritty <laughs> yeah maybe we should end on santa gritty i think <laughs> But tell people where they can also check out the Danger Club. Uh, Danger Club, you can find it at dangerclubpa.com. Uh, we did a Christmas song called uh, A Holiday in Flavortown, which has absolutely nothing to do with Guy Fieri. We just thought it was funny. And it's about, you know, how Christmas sucks sometimes. But yeah, we're going to end with Santa Gritty because, you know, bad things happen in Philadelphia. Bad, bad <laughs> things do yeah. happen in Philadelphia. <laughs> Thank you for joining us, Dot, and Merry Christmas to all of you listeners out there. Merry Christmas to all. Thank you.
You're listening to the Geekscape Network. At maximum mediocrity, people say things like, I don't dress like this on a regular basis. This isn't my, you know, pooping uniform. This is not <laughs> And they also say things like, the, the nurses are usually either angels of mercy or whores. Every episode is a new experience where you get to know people that aren't famous but should be. Why are you my facing Floyd Mayweather in the Woods. My co-host Morgan and I track down the people you didn't know you needed to hear from. It's like hot sex in a mug. We are the Maximum Mediocrity Podcast, and we are on all major podcasting platforms. We'll be waiting for you. We're here to entertain you. We'll sing your songs. Hey there. Are you obsessed with things that happened before your time? Well, if you are, join me, the host of Before My Time, Gelsey Laurie, to discuss the wonders of the yesteryears that we weren't around to enjoy ourselves. You can find us on all podcast platforms. You're listening to the Geekscape Network.